Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to an audience with the Festival Laureate, Paul Farley. Thank you, Stephen. Um, I thought I'd start by reading a train poem. There's a reason for this, which I'll talk about um, after I've read the poem. So it's called From a Weekend First. From a Weekend First, one for the money, arrangements in green and grey from the windows of an empty dining car. No takers for this burgundy today apart from me. I'll raise a weighted stem to my homeland scattering by. Be grateful for these easy-on-the-eye army and navy surplus camouflage colours that seem to mask all trace of life and industry. A draft for the hidden dead, our forefathers, the landfills of the mind where they turned in with the plush and orange peel of yesteryear, used up and entertained and put to bed at last. To this view, where everything seems to turn on the middle distance, crematoria, multiplex way stations in the form of big sheds that house their promises of goods and sex. To the promise of a university town, its spires and playing fields. No border guards will board at this station. No shakedown relieve me of papers or contraband. This is England. Nobody will pull the cord on these thoughts, though the cutlery and glasses set for dinner are tinkling at a bend, a carriage full of ghosts taking their places. Now drink to slow outskirts, the colour wheels of 50 years collected in windows, to worlds of interiors, to credit deals with nothing to pay until next year, postcodes where water hardens then softens, where rows of streetlights become the dominant motif as day drains, and I see myself transposed into the dark, lifting my glass. Belief is one thing, though the dead have none of it. What would they make of me, this Pinot Noir on my expenses? Time enough to write this on a virgin antimacassar. The miles of faint, the months of Sunday school, the gallons of free milk, all led to here. An empty dining car, a single fool reflected endlessly on the night air. I read that because um, two reasons. One, three reasons, I've just thought of a third one. Um, the university town thing uh, resonates. Um, also, I've been talking a lot with Stephen about, uh, we both had interesting encounters with the poet Derek Walcott uh, earlier this, this year, the you know, well-known, marvelous Caribbean uh, poet, uh, Derek Walcott, who, who's very mischievous and likes to put people on the spot and ask people to, to write a train poem. So I've, I've, I've got that ready, prepared for the next, next time, if there is a next time. Um, the other reason I want, I suppose, that I wanted to read that was as a, as a kind of, um, you know, I've been upgraded, I'm the Festival Laureate, and it's, it's been wonderful the last couple of 48, getting on for 72 hours, I've been amazing. And that's a poem about being upgraded by week, via weekend first. And I'm staying in the castle instead of the Premier Inn. So I'm feeling very upgraded and like I'm not in the place I'm supposed to, uh, to be. Um, 
As Stephen said, I've been asked to write, uh, I've been commissioned to write a poem. Uh, very, it was a very loose commission. Um, I, think, I think the original um, encounter was just write something based on the North. I think it was as, as vague and as kind of freeing and liberating or horrifying or as, as that. So, um, so I ended up writing this poem, that the, uh, the, it's, the lantern worm is going to figure. That, that's all I would say. But before I read it, can I just read something else, which is a, um, and I'm not sure this is a poem, um, it's definitely a verbal contraption. Um, and it was when I was researching uh, the poem that I ended up writing for the festival, I put, um, I, I like to search on a well-known search engine and put phrases in. So I put in the phrase, I went to Durham and got uh, several thousand hits and, and ended up listing some of the more kind of um, interesting responses to this, this query. And I went to Durham is, is freighted, of course, because it suggests outside of them. It, it, you know, it suggests incomers or offcomers. I went. So this is what they think. You, I'm holding a mirror up to Durham, I think, or this is what the internet thinks of you. Um, I went to. It's a found poem. Don't blame me for any of this, by the by the way. It's I, Durham found. I went to Durham because Oxbridge was too pretentious for me. I went to Durham University and was embarrassed in a local chippy. I went to Durham. I got a bit confused coming out of the station. I went to Durham for scientific reasons. I went to Durham on a field trip with no expectations. I went to Durham to read French but spent my time learning about everything else. I went to Durham. What an amazing experience. I went to Durham, albeit 10 years ago, was okay. <laughs> I went to Durham stonemasonry for a stone fireplace. I went to Durham races, one day and seven races. I went to Durham in a colored coat with gold buttons. I went to Durham and my nan may be getting turned into a super villain. I went to Durham and remained there until after the Duke commencement. I went to Durham, England, to see the quadrangle of Hogwarts. I went to Durham to look for the black stork. I went to Durham cycles needing a tune-up. I went to Durham Cathedral to light a candle. I went to Durham where I was trained as a teacher and played the organ. I went to Durham for a conference called Where the Wild Things Are. I went to Durham to visit my spiritual director. I went to Durham Police Station to see the command center. I went to Durham and wanted to use Newcastle's computers. I went to Durham's Girls Grammar School, which no longer exists. I went to Durham, up the Bailey to St. Chad's. I went to Durham and don't have a bad word. I went to Durham and it was full of snobs. I went to Durham for a conference on the role of repression in oblivion. I went to Durham a few years ago in the summer. I went to Durham one day in my school blazer. I went to Durham, which is one of those places which appeals to my soul. I went to Durham to assume the role of senior pastor. I went to Durham to watch the Olympic torch relay. I went to Durham as a student, married Hillary. I went to Durham thinking I'd discovered the meaning of life. I went to Durham. Unfortunately, I didn't take my camera. I went to Durham. It had more than its fair share of wankers. I went to Durham, and Durham is so pretty. I went to Durham. This is a place in northern England. Sorry, no, 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 no. 
please, no. Um, so that's a kind of a prelude to this poem about the, about the lantern worm. The things I knew about, I knew two things about Durham a long time before I ever visited Durham. One was um, that Roger Whittaker song, I'm going to leave old Durham town, forgive me. Um, and the other thing was the lantern worm, which is a local legend, a local myth, but seems to have done well on the export market as well, because across the Pennines, growing up in Merseyside, uh, I knew about the lantern worm. It's interesting, Stephen mentioned we were in Bishop Auckland yesterday, and when I said to the school kids, you know, uh, who were, I think, year nine or year ten, um, who knows about the lantern worm, I'd say only about 40%, 50% of them raised their hands, so maybe it's losing its kind of traction, this, 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 um, this legend. Um, so forgive me if, if you know this inside out and grow, I've grown up with it, but the lantern worm was a, a legend, a legendary beast, and it's a moral tale as well. John Lampton, instead of going to church on a Sunday morning, goes fishing and discovers a, um, a worm or a lamprey-like um, creature in the river Weir and um, examines it, inspects it, and throws it back into the water and goes off to, to the Crusades, I think. And the, the worm grows huge, wraps itself, I think, seven to five times or seven times around a local hill. Local cows and sheep start going missing. Um, the worm can uproot trees and threaten people. Um, and next, some, something has to be done. The other crucial things when you try to chop the worm up, it, it reassembles itself. So um, John Lampton comes home and um, is asked, consults a witch. And the witch tells him to wear a suit of armor with, um, with this, div this device, these kind of spear tips pointing out from, from the suit of armor. When the worm coils itself around him, he also has to be standing in the middle of the river where it slices itself up and the river takes the bits of the worm away and distributes them and it can't reassemble. And that's how the lantern worm was killed. I, I heard that story when I was about seven, eight, nine. And it's always, it's, always, it's always creeped me out and fascinating. There's lots of versions of the St. George and so on. So that, that's what the poem is about. And it's an interview with a worm. The other, the other thing that happened was I discovered that sink, a huge sinkhole had appeared in the ground in County Durham recently. The earth had literally opened up. So those two things got the poem going. Um, and one last thing to say is it half of the more than half the poem is uh, in the voice of the worm. I don't know how to do a worm voice. I don't really don't know what I'm how to do this. It's definitely still a work in progress, and ho hopefully something uh, good will come from it. But I thought I'd read it. Um, I was commissioned after all. So here we go. Um, interview with the worm in County Durham, where this sort of thing can occur. A sinkhole appeared. Its bottom couldn't be seen. A 71-year-old retired sales trainer warned, with more rain coming, we could see a lot more of the hole. There followed the usual talk of pits and mine shafts. When I went to look, I ended up listening to the lantern worm, long thought sectioned and swept beyond cold Sunderland. This is what it said and is, in truth, less interview, more audience. The worm had things to say, by turns animated and angry. I got the sense it had nursed grudges for centuries, and my role was to record them. It spoke, as you'll hear, 
for the polity of earthworms and with an impressive breadth of informed opinion, shy of my microphone at first, but relaxing when sure it was not a device for chopping up worms. A rippling powered by five pairs of hearts, though nobody chills to songs of the saddled earthworm. Topsoil worms outweigh the beasts of the field, though you don't accord them legendary status. Did Noah take just the one, us being hermaphrodites? If Edward Thomas fought for literally this, the poet's crumbling sober to in his fingers, then he fought for all the grateful worms of England. Childhood is fair worm time. Earth is closer. You learn to tie your laces watching blackbirds pulling worms from lawns on wet mornings. Perform your crude anatomies with penknives. You get to know our moon and rain movements. Throw sheets of soapy water on the grass and watch us rise, flushed by your fairy liquid, your basic bait, your simple angleworm. Northern confectioners saw fit to cast our form in sugary gelatin next to the white mice and are vindicated. Closest we came to art. Nothing on the walls of caves, nothing from antiquity, nothing in the medieval, unless those serpents and dragons are worms that turned under the pressure of ergot or lead paint. The Renaissance, silent. Between Pliny and Michelangelo, the Laquan was a marble reef for worms in their underworld. Roland Barthes would have written well on us worms. And what might Jean-Luc Godard have done if all he'd needed to make a movie was a gun and a worm? Some say only you poets are paying attention, being children, anglers, and lovers of the dance between this world and that. The words passing through the length of you in long bodily shivers. I fast forward the tape. It said so many things. It talked of the journey home from the German Ocean. Each eel stump blind and wriggling through the slime by moonlight, avoiding the gannet's zone of interest. It thanked all poets and asked me as its proxy to pass this on, which I'm doing by reading you this. Holes are appearing. Livestock is going missing. It started raining. It's bringing an army next time. Thank you. So um, I'm now no, 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 no. Um, so I'm going to read some poems now um, from my selected poems, um, which the Sunday Times absolutely fucking hated. Um, so and, and, and I'll try and read a couple as well, which have something to do with the last couple of days and with, with being in Durham. Um, and being being a laureate for a laureate for seventy two hours or whatever it's been, um, we were talking about childhood earlier and um, poems from childhood and nostalgia. So I'll start with this. Um, it's a poem called Treacle. So um, you you all know what a tin of uh, Tatenlar Treacle looks like. And just to say, as a, a little bit of kind of biography, I've just suddenly realised I can move away from the lectern, can't I? Shit. Right. So um, the the Treacle tin. Um, uh, we moved from the city centre of Liverpool um, around about 1970-71 and to this estate right on the edge of the city 
And um, my mum must have brought a tin of treacle with her. I don't know, she brought lots of things, but there was this tin of treacle in this new cupboard, which just remained there, I think, for the decade, throughout the 1970s. And I don't remember anyone ever opening it or using it or cooking, making anything with it. It was just there. And I used to look, look at it for hours. I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but I was fascinated by the label of the Tate and Lyle treacle tin. It was almost like they'd... It was like it was the centre of the house. They'd built the house around it. You know? So um, I ended up... Um, so here's this poem, Treacle. Funny to think you can still buy it now. A throwback like shoe polish or the sardine key. When you lever the lid, it opens with a sigh. And you're face to face with history. By that, I mean the unstable pitch black you're careful not to spill. Like... Mercury that doesn't give any reflection back, that gets between the cracks of everything and holds together the sandstone and bricks of our museums and art galleries. And though those self-same buildings stand hosed clean now of all their gunk and soot, feel the weight of this tin in your hand. Read its endorsement from one Abraham Lyle. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. Below the weird logo of bees in swarm, like a halo over the line carcass. Breathe its scent, something lost from our streets like horse shit or coal smoke. Its base note, a building block as biblical as honey, the last dregs of an empire's dark sump. See how a spoonful won't let go of its past, what the tin calls back to the mean of its lip as you pour its contents over yourself and smear it into every orifice. Your history now, a captive explorer staked out for the insects, your tarred and feel its call harden. The restorer will tap your details back out of the dark, close in work with a toffee hammer. The, um, I was talking to someone last night at, um, was it called High Table? It was High Table, wasn't it? Um, High Table. And um, I was embarrassed reading that poem once at Cheltenham Ladies College because of the line, um, smear it into every orifice. And she turned around to me and said, Paul, I went to an old girls' school. They will have fucking loved it. Um, <laughs> So, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about reading treacle to. Um, so, okay, so another another poem from childhood, I suppose, but it was written a, lot, a long time after treacle. This idea of um, getting the city of your birth out of the way, or having a complicated relationship with wherever it is you're from. And I do sometimes wish Liverpool would just go away. Um, so it does in this poem, but only for an infinitesimally short period of time. So. It's called Liverpool. Oh, and I should say, it's, Liverpool is twinned with Cologne, Cologne in, um, in Germany. Actually, it's twinned with lots of places. It's totally promiscuous. It'll go with anyone. You know, so, um, but it's twinned. One of the places it's twinned with is, 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 is Cologne. Liverpool disappears for a billionth of a second. Shorter than the blink inside a blink the national grid will sometimes make when you'll turn to a room and say, was that just me? People sitting down for dinner don't feel their chairs taken away, put back again, much faster than that trick with tablecloths. 
A train entering the Olive Mount Cutting shudders, but not a single passenger complains when it pulls in, almost on time. The birds feel it, though. And if you see starlings in shoal, seagulls abandoning cathedral ledges, or a mob of pigeons lifting from a square as at gunfire, be warned, it may be happening. But then those sensitive to bat squeak in the backs of necks, who claim to hear the distant roar of comets on the turn, these may well smile at a world restored in one piece. Though each place where mineral Liverpool goes wouldn't believe what hit it, all that sandstone out to sea or meshed into the quarters of Cologne. I've felt it a few times when I've gone home. If anything, more often now I'm old and the gaps between get shorter all the time. Um, I wanted to read a poem called Monopoly as well. Just, it's a very old poem, but it's a poem that um, came up yesterday when we were in um, Bishop Auckland in the, in the school. Um, the kids really lit, lit up like a pinball machine when, when I said I'm reading this poem. Do you, do you, yes, we, we don't know what the lantern worm is, but we still play Monopoly. You know? So the board game has this currency, and it's also this lovely, I think, junction box where you know, class and money and all, all kinds of things meet geography. So um, I, of course, wasn't thinking that when I wrote the poem. I was just kind of... Um, I wrote it as a kind of elegy for my brothers and sisters, I think, because we played it kind of religiously in wet, wet summers when I was a kid. So, and I believe there's a Durham monopoly, someone said. That could be BS, I don't know. But um, there are lots of monopolies for lots of different places. But this is the kind of standard Waddington monopoly, I guess. Monopoly. We sat like slum landlords around the board buying each other out with fake banknotes until we lost more than we could afford or ever hope to pay back. Now our seats are empty. One by one, we left the game to play for real. At first, completely lost in this other world, its building sites, its rain, but slowly learned the rules or made our own, stayed out of jail and kept our noses clean. And now there's only me, sole freeholder of every empty office space in town. And from the quayside, I can count the cost each low tide brings, the skeletons and rust of boats, cars, hats, boots, iron, a terrier. Um, I was also talking to Stephen Yesterday, I think, or was it the day? Yeah, it must have been. All the days have blurred into one. Um, about an interview, Stephen interviewed Roman, the film director Roman Polanski, and we were talking about his film um, version of, um, of Macbeth, um, which began in, um, they began shooting, principal photography began in Snowdonia, but it was an absolute disaster. Um, it rained and the, the incredibly inclement weather. They couldn't get the they couldn't get the, the movie done there, so they they uh, they moved to um, to uh, Northumbria to here, you know, to the to the coast a little further north of here. So I, I thought I'd read this as well. This has kind of come up. We've been talking about it, and, and, and I'm just assuming people still know who Keith Chegwin is, but he's, he's kind of he's receding into the past, isn't he? And I I I, if, I know if I'd said that to the kids in Bishop Auckland, they would have said. Huh? Um, what? Who? You know, 
But most of you will know um, Keith Chegwin. Um, he, he was a drink. He was a drinker. You know, he drank. Um, he, he drank um, mouthwash um, before he went on to set, so that he he was pissed as a fart, but his breath smelled great. You know, um, so it's a terrible, sad sort of daytime TV. Um, Keith Chegwin as Fleance. The next rung up from Extra and Dog's Body and all the cliches are true. Days waiting for enough light, learning card games, penny ante, while fog rolls off the sea. A camera gets moisture in its gate and Roman Polanski curses the day he chose Snowdonia. He picked you for your hair to play this role. A look had reached Bootle from Altamont that year. You wouldn't say you sold your soul, but learned your line inside a beating tent by candlelight. The shingle dark as coal behind each wave and its slight restatement. A tale told by an idiot, not your turn, but perhaps with time and practice, the pole starts. Who's to say behind the accents and that grin, what designs you had on playing a greater part. The crew get ready while the stars go in. You speak the words you'd written on your heart. Just as the long-awaited sunrise fires the sky a bluish pink. Who could have seen this future in the late schedules where I can't sleep and watch your flight from the big screen? On the other side of drink and wondering why the zany household name years in between um apart, everyone's been talking about the words with trust the people who came uh, earlier those wonderful uh, faber new poets um are going around like a shunky indie band um and and reading on tour so um they were in grasmere last night so i've, I've got to read something from from Grasmere, I, I, although I think they've all fucked off to the pub, haven't they? So not, none of you are here, are you? So I have actually read to nobody. It's, it's the weirdest thing, just reading to six rows of empty um, chairs. So I, I'd like to read this. This is a words of trust poem, um, just called The Heron. When I was talking to the, the students who met with me at nine o'clock last night for this great event, actually, it, it, I, I thought it was wonderful poems that made me. Um, they, they asked me to read a few poems that were significant or important or in some way um, made me a poet or, or I've inflected the way I write poetry. And one of the poems I picked was a poem by John Clare, a poem by John Clare called um, Emmons Sales Heath in Winter. Um, and if you were, I don't think anyone is here who was there last night, so this isn't gonna work. Um, oh, there is, oh, bless you, oh, great. I'm looking right at you. Um, the, the, the heron, you'll remember, from Emmon Sales Heath in Winter, starts slow and flaps his melancholy wing, flies into, um, flies into this poem. And so it took two things. I think poems often take two or three things, you know, to get you going. And with this, it was that. But it was also being in the words, which had lots of herons there. Um, herons are doing spectacularly well, a species that's, 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 that's thriving at the moment. It's got a swear word in it. Oh, we're past that, aren't we? So the heron. One of the most begrudging avian takeoffs is the herons. Fucking hell, all right, all right. I'll go to the garage for your flaming fags. Cranky departure. Though once they're up, 
their flight can be extravagant. I watched one big spender climb the thermal staircase, a calorific water spout of frogs and sticklebacks, the undercarriage down and trailing. Seen from antiquity, you gain the Icarus thing. Seen from my childhood, that cursing man sets out for super kings. Though the heron cares for neither, as it struggles into its wings, then soars sunwards and throws its huge overcoat across the earth. Um, the other words of trust poem I'd like to read for you um, is, uh, is this one. It's a another found poem like that. Um, monstrosity I read earlier and it's called um, rel I've called it relic but everything else about it is taken from taken from the world so when I was at the words which just one of my teeth fell out and the director of the trust who was a, a lovely man called Robert w Robert Wolf probably known to some of you actually he had lots of ties with the, with the northeast um, uh, told me to visit his dentist uh, who was a guy called Mr. Clough in Windermere so I went along and saw him and I'd not been to a dentist for a long time and uh, he, he did that thing, it's called charting, where they read, they read out a kind of pattern of your mouth and somebody writes it all down. And it sounded, it, it sounded super evocative. It sounded, uh, I always say it sounded like a shipping forecast of the mouth, you know. Um, so I'll, I'll read this, and it's, a, it's, it's absolutely as, um, as he said it, as Mr. Clough said it. And it's also, a, uh, it's also a useful poem. If I don't make it through the laureate ship in Durham, um, you'll be able to identify me from this poem. So here we go, relic. One's a crown, two's a crown, three, four, five, distal occlusal, six distal occlusal, seven occlusal, upper left. One mesial incisal, two mesial incisal, three's a crown, four, five is absent, space closed. Six occlusal, seven occlusal, eight. Lower left, one's a crown, two mesial, three, four occlusal, five is absent space closed six occlusal seven occlusal eight is absent right one two three four distal occlusal five's a buckle six and seven are absent space closed um i read um read a couple of new poems and then another poem from the book that the sunday times hated and that's it and are we gonna have a chat we're gonna have a chat you ask me questions so uh, so there's a couple of new poems I'd like to just uh, slot in. So um, this is called Poker, and um, here you go. Um, poker. You're told this deck was found in some shattered body or croft north of the Great Glen, missing its six of diamonds, shuffled, and dealt to a soft pliancy, greased with lanolin. And you're told this deck lived behind the bar in a barracks town, and came out to play most nights, cut between the Falklands and Iraq, its spring long gone, dark-edged with mammal sweat. And you're told this deck is the one recovered from a halfway house, where stalactites of fat hung in a microwave oven where a bottle of famous grouse was brandished in a fight. And it might be a pack of lies, or it might be a sleight of hand. And you can't tell which is a bluff, because words are a good disguise for holding nothing. 
I've found that nothing is more than enough. Um, this other new one. When I say new, I didn't write them on the way over to Durham, by the way. Just um, It might sound like it, but they've, they've been around for a short while. They've not, not found a, a book. But um, this is called Clever and Cold, and this is um, talking about seeing things and myths and legends and so on. We, we all have our own personal uh, ones as well. I saw... Um, was convinced I saw Jack Frost when I was when I was a little kid, and um, I mean really convinced I saw this kind of like um, this silver man, this kind of sprite uh, came to my window, and I've since discovered it's not good to see Jack Frost. It's not good to see um, ice sprites. Um, it's it's you, you don't want to be seeing these people in childhood. Uh, I actually didn't know that when I was I was writing this. I showed it to someone and he showed me. It's, it's, in, it's in one of Freud's case um, notes. Um, anyway, so um, I don't know what, the, what this is saying about... Um, anyway, it's called Clever and Cold. It's hard being clever and cold, and I should know. Jack Frost came to my childhood window one night and told me, look, from now on, things won't be the same. Its great stillness is not merely a pose, coming in from the cold, but cold coming in. I tried to keep warm, but ever since our little mind to heart, I've known cold's wider intelligence. How old days should be crystal days. You can see cold for yourself at work in the shapes it makes out of any January park. Fangs on the lip of the slide, a lid for the lake. The sky is thinking hard before it snows. You can see how frost hides from the sun, keeping itself to the shadows of walls and hedges. It has a mind of its own. The sun can't have everything its own way. These are some of the things cold knows. Um, and I'll end with a, um, because it's Saturday, um, and... Um, I, I always like to read this if I'm reading on a Saturday. Uh, so it's a poem called A Minute's Silence. And um, I'd say thanks, actually. It's been, it's been fantastic, this. It really has. Um, I've been treated cordially and hospitably uh, and, uh, by, the, by the people, the readers, the students of, of, of uh, Durham. Um, Niskaus interloper. I mean, what am I doing here writing poems in Durham, you know? But everyone's been absolutely wonderful, so thank you. Uh, so I'll, re I'll read this poem, this, this dirge, and then uh, I think we'll, we'll have a com conversation, maybe. Um, so here we go. A minute's silence. The singing stops. Each player finds his spot around the ten-yard circle that until tonight seemed redundant, dared just for show. The PA asks us to observe the hush. We find we're standing in a groundsman's shoes, the quiet he must be familiar with while squeaking chalk paste up the grassy touch or overseeing a private ritual and scattering the last mortal remains of a diehard fan beneath each home end stanchion. No one keeps account or checks their watch, so Space is opened up. It seems to last a small eternity, the happy hour that stretches to three, the toast, the final spin. I 
observe the silence, sneak through turnstiles and catch on quick. A bar muffles its pumps. In function rooms, a wedding reception freezes still as its own photograph. An awful bagwash winds down mid-cycle. A Saturday gridlocked, unaccompanied by hooters or sirens. Like early audiences, we have left the streets to its own devices to watch the flicking shadow of itself on screen, the purring spool, somehow apart from all of this. It leaves the one-way system and finds less work to do outside of town. A rookery, light aircraft, and the wind banging gates or moaning through the lines. How still without birdsong. It still guts me to think of all the havoc wreaked each spring. We combed the hedges outside our estate and stole the still warm clutches from each nest. All that music blown and set in file on sawdust in a two-pound biscuit tin, displayed to rivals in attack formation, a four-three-three of fowls and passerines. Sooner or later, silence reaches the coast and stops, just short of getting its feet wet. There's something of the ice age to all this. The only sounds, the white noise of the sea, that is all song, all talk, all colour mixed. Before that whistle bursts a hole and brings the air rushing back in with arc lighting, calls for owners of the double parked. The last verse of You'll Never Walk Alone, never the sweet silver song of a lark. Listen to where the shore meets the salt water a million tiny licking, chopping sounds. The dead, the never born, the locked out souls are scratching on the thin shell we've grown around ourselves. Listen, the afternoon is dark already and there is a moon. Thank you so much, thank you. Paul, that was terrific. Thanks very, very much. What, what, what I'd like, Paul, if you, if, if you don't feel put upon, there's a, there's a poem I heard Paul read years ago that I've, I've, I've always loved. It's about your father. And it's, it's about Liverpool. And um, I'm, I'm very interested in allergy, which is why I wanted Tom to read the, the Basil Bending allergy that he read so beautifully at the start and I wondered if you if you wouldn't mind Paul. Do you want me to read it's it? Got, yeah, okay. it's called Laws of Gravity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if read this anymore. It's weird though, I, I went and read somewhere with, um, there's this great, uh, I think he's a great poet called Don Patterson, he's my editor as well, and um, he's very, he's mischievous, like Derek Walcott, very mischievous, and he'll often say when you read with him, I'll read one of yours and you read one of mine as well, we'll slip one of them in. And I said, oh, yeah, I will always kind of say, I'm, I'm always game for it. I'll always say, okay. The last time I read with him in, uh, I can't remember, Stirling, I think, in Scotland, he said, um, he picked the book up and he, he read Laws of Gravity. Yeah. He wanted to read that, mm. which I was kind of yeah, um, odd, but strange, flattering. I don't, I don't know why, why he read that, but anyway. I'll try and do it from memory, but I don't know whether I can. I haven't read it for ages. Um, 
Um, there's an italic, italicized passage in the middle, and I always say I don't know how to um, read italics. So, um, do you want to say a little bit about? Well, yeah, it's 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 a so um, it's an allergy, like Stephen says, and I suppose, and it's um, the only I suppose the only interesting thing to say about this is that um, I made something up and managed to write a, a, a poem about my dad, and um, I've been trying to write poems about him, and they were uni you know uniformly awful crap sort of poems and then I wrote this one and there's a lie in it a huge lie in it well a little lie I imagined so he's a window cleaner he's in Liverpool which is probably why I like the lamplighter because Leary goes around with ladders and so on um, I was fascinated by his job and I also imagined him carrying a ledger well he did carry a ledger around him to go to collect on Friday nights from house to house and I imagined this is a lie I imagined that I found his ledger and in the margin of his um, ledger there were, there were lyrics he'd written you know, short lyric poems, which isn't true. It's, I made that up. So, I mean, that's, mm, that's great. worth knowing. So, Laws of Gravity. I found a guidebook to the port he knew intimately. It's guano-coated ledges, it's weather vanes, his bird's-eye river view of liner funnels, coal sloops, and dredges. It helped me gain a foothold, how he felt a hundred rungs above a 50s street and whether, being so high, he ever dwelt on suicide or flummoxed his feet to last night's dance steps, still fresh in his head. It's all here in his ledger's marginalia, how he fell up the dark stairwell to bed and projected right through to Australia and said a prayer for rainfall every night so he could skip his first hungover round. The dates he's noted Shammy frozen tight into buckets. When he left the ground, a sense of purpose overtook and let a different set of laws come into play, like Muzins who ascend a minaret to call the faithful of the town to pray. Take one step at a time, never look down. He'd seen the hardest cases freeze halfway, the arse flap of their overalls turned brown. As a rule, he writes, your sense of angle becomes acute at height. A diagram he's thumbnailed shows the drop through a triangle if you miscalculate it by a gram. Sometimes his senses still blunted from booze. He'd drop his squeegee, watch it fall to earth and cling onto the grim hypotenuse of his own making for all he was worth. He seems to have enjoyed working that hour. The low sun caught the glass and raised the ante on every aerial flue and cooling tower and gilded the lofts, the rooftop shanty town, when everything was full of itself. And for a while, even the Latin plaques ignited with the glow of squandered wealth. It's times like these I see what our world lacks, the light of heaven on what we've produced. And here some words lost where his biro bled, then clouds of dark birds zero into roost. There's IOUs and debtors marked in red, and some description of the things he saw beyond the pain. A hard-lit typing pool, a room of faces on some vanished floor, closed off and absolute, like a fixed rule. His story of the boy butting a wall, the secretary crying at her desk, 
all happened in the air above a mall. Each edifice, each gargoyle and grotesque is gone. The earliest thing I remember, as our van dropped the gear up Brownlow Hill, I looked back at the pains of distemper that sealed a world. We reached our overspill, and this is where our stories overlap. The coming of the cradle and sheet glass was squeezing out the ladder and the slap of leather into suds, and less and less work came through the door. And anyway, you were getting too old for scaling heights. Now, when I change a bulb or cue to pay at fares, or when I'm checking in for flights, I feel our difference bit down to the quick. There are no guidebooks to that town you knew, and this attempt to build it brick by brick descends the page. I'll hold the foot for you. Great.